Open your Bible to the book of Hebrews. So we're starting Hebrews on uh, Wednesday night. Hebrews is... Um, All the Bible is interesting. All the Bible is awesome. But we'll have a we'll have a, a good time going through the book of Hebrews because Hebrews is going to take us through so much of the Scripture, Old and New, Old Testament, New Testament, and it paints vivid pictures of who Christ is and what Christ has done in saving us and redeeming us. And so, as an introduction to our study that we're going to begin on Wednesday night in the book of Hebrews, I wanted, to, um, I wanted us to look at the first four verses of Hebrews today. The highest of all revelations is given to us now in the Son of God. I'm going to say that again. There is no revelation that God can give to us greater than what He has already given to us in Jesus Christ. There are a lot of Christians who are looking for a greater revelation, a deeper revelation of God. There is no greater, there is no deeper revelation of God than Jesus Christ. He is greater than the angels, and having completed our redemption, he sits enthroned at God's right hand. Men are blind to the revelation of the Son of God. When we are born into this world, we are born blind to the revelation of the Son of God. Until we are born again and our eyes open to see the Son, we remain in darkness, sin, and death. The first four verses of this letter to the Hebrews sets out clearly from the beginning that Jesus Christ is the eternal and divine Son of God. Jesus is the complete revelation of God, the heir and creator of all things, the one who is upholding all things, who has purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the Father. His is the name above all names. So let's read together these first four verses of the letter to the Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So in this day and age where people are looking for all kinds of things and looking to all kinds of things in our technology, in spiritual ways, this is often very lost to us, the reality that the world we live in is becoming more and more spiritual. But just because someone professes to be spiritual is not necessarily a good thing. John writes in his first letter, he says, try the spirits and see whether they are of God. 
So just because someone is spiritual does not mean the spirit they are looking to is the spirit of God. So this concept, this idea that, that someone is spiritual, it may or it may not be a good thing. And what we're finding is because men are the emptiness that we try to fill our lives, we try to fill that emptiness with all kinds of things. And the reality is nothing can suffice except Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God. And so we turn to all sorts of things. We turn to religion, we turn to technology, we turn to pursuits in life, maybe our careers, maybe recreation. Um, we get lost in all kinds of things and we become obsessed with all kinds of things. And it shows the lost nature of man. It shows that mankind is lost. And the answer to our lost state of being is the Son of God. It is Jesus Christ. And here in this letter, this is a letter written to a group of believers, the church in Italy. They're Hebrews. That's why it's called the letter to the Hebrews, because it's written to a Hebrew congregation. And we're not going to go into all of the detail today, but as we go through this study on Wednesday night, we're going to see that what this group of Hebrew believers wanted to do, they wanted to go back to Jerusalem and offer sacrifices in the temple like Jews had done for centuries. The only problem is everything the Jews had done for the centuries preceding the writing of this letter whether it was the tabernacle in the wilderness to the time that Solomon built the first temple, then that temple was destroyed, and then the Jews came back after 70 years of captivity, and they built the second temple. And when Jesus is born, when Jesus is carried into the temple because he was the firstborn male, he, it was by law he had to be dedicated. That's why Jesus was dedicated in the temple it was the law of God because he was the firstborn male. And every firstborn male had to be either sacrificed to God or dedicated to God. So our sons, born as Jews, firstborn sons, are taken to the temple and dedicated to God because they belong to the Lord. That was the law. And that temple that Jesus was carried in as a baby to be dedicated to the Lord is the temple that was standing when this letter was written. And it was in that temple that animal sacrifice took place every day. There was a lamb slaughtered every morning and a lamb slaughtered every evening. Every morning at 9 o'clock and every afternoon at 3 o'clock, a lamb would be sacrificed. And that went on for centuries. And that whole system of sacrifice, and it wasn't just that lamb in the morning and that lamb in the afternoon, but if I commit a sin, depending on what that sin is, what that trespass is, depending on how I've broken God's law, I've got to offer sacrifice in order to have my sin covered, to have my sin taken away. 
really the animal, the blood of an animal can never take my sin away. It only covers my sin. It's kind of like Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned, when they fell and their eyes were open and they saw that they were naked because they had the knowledge of good and evil. They didn't worry about that before. They were clothed with the glory of God. But when the glory of God departed and they saw that they were naked, what was the first thing they did? They tried to cover themselves. And what did God do? He says, no, you covering yourself will not suffice. You cannot be allowed to run around here with your own covering. So God sacrificed an animal, took the skin of that animal and clothed them in tunics of skin. And so we see from the very beginning, there was the shedding of blood of an animal to cover the sin of man. And since that beginning of time, since that beginning of humanity, Man has had his sin covered by the grace of God through the blood of animals until Jesus came. And everything that took place in that tabernacle and in those temples was a sign pointing us to someone, pointing us to Jesus. It was a shadow, but the substance, the one that was casting the shadow was Jesus. And so this letter begins by declaring to these Hebrew believers who Jesus is. Jesus wasn't just a great man. He wasn't just a great prophet. He wasn't just a great rabbi. He wasn't an angel. You know, the, the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons both believe Jesus is an angel. They both believe he's related to the angel Michael. Jesus is not an angel. Jesus is not a created being. Jesus is the eternal son. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is conveying, this along with a whole lot of other things. Because if we don't understand who Jesus is, we may find ourselves falling into false beliefs and those false beliefs and those misconceptions are dangerous enough that they could lead to our destruction if we're not delivered from them and there are a lot of people living in false beliefs in deception and they are headed for ultimate destruction if they do not come to see the sun. So here in verse 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, what that really says, what that literally says God in many portions. So I want you to think about a timeline. We look at a timeline and it's a very concise, a very concentrated picture of the reality of time. Our Bibles in a sense is kind of like a timeline. We have this book we call the Bible that begins with the creation of all things and then it, it ends with the coming of Christ to reign on a new earth in a new heaven. 
and everything in between is what we call time. But yet, if we just take this book and we take it up to just the birth of Jesus or the death of Jesus or the ascension of Jesus or let's just take it up to 70 AD and the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. That's a whole lot of history to be contained in a book like this. So what we need to understand when we read the Bible is we're not reading a moment-by-moment account of what took place in history. It's like today in the Sunday school lesson, I heard R.C. Sproul say that at the very time Isaiah was conducting his ministry here on earth, the city of Rome was being founded and established. And so there were things happening simultaneously. There's things happening simultaneously right now all over creation. Guess who's orchestrating those things? God is orchestrating those things. God simultaneously is doing something here while he's doing something there and there and there and there. And so what we see is that God who at various times, God in many portions and many parts of time, in many different ways, spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. That word prophets does not just refer to men like Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jeremiah. That word prophet reveals, re- refers to all the different people God inspired to make known his word and his revelation. Adam. God spoke through Adam. God spoke through Abraham. God spoke through Moses. God spoke through Sarah. God spoke through Ruth. God spoke through David. God spoke through Esther. God spoke through all sorts of people. God spoke through Mary. So it's not just people who carry the office of a prophet. This is talking about everyone, every individual, every person God used to make known his word, his inspired word. He inspired them to speak. He inspired them to act. He inspired them to do things. And this is part of the revelation. And he revealed himself in many ways. Sometimes he spoke to them audibly. To Moses, he appeared to him in a burning bush. Uh, To Abraham, Abraham heard the voice of God. And Abraham obeyed the voice of God. Abraham went to the mountain. He was going to sacrifice his son. And a voice came from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, do not harm your son. To Mary, an angel appeared. To Joseph, an angel came to him in a dream. There was a thing called the Urim and the Thummim, which were two stones. Don't know how they worked, but they were in the breastplate of the, of the priest. And the best guess is it would glow. It would, it would light up. And and it would reveal to the priests what the will of God was. There was a a false prophet named Balaam who was hired to curse Israel. And he's riding his donkey to go up to the top of a hill to look over the camp of Israel. He's going to meet with some kings who are enemies of Israel. And he's going to curse Israel. He's going to see what proposition they have. And he's riding his donkey. And his donkey sees the angel of the Lord. 
Balaam can't see it. And when the donkey sees the angel of the Lord, you know what the donkey did? It fell down. Balaam beat his donkey. What's wrong with you, donkey? Finally, after about the third time of beating his donkey and he can't get his donkey to go where he wants it to go, the donkey turns around and says to Balaam, why are you beating me? Have I ever done this for you, to you before? There's an angel there. Can't you see it? Balaam's eyes were open and the Lord spoke to Balaam. Now, does God doesn't do that all the time, does he? But this is what the writer of Hebrews says. In times past, God at various times and in various ways spoke to the fathers by the prophets. That donkey was a prophet that day. He declared the word of God. He declared the revelation of God. So God used all sorts of things to make his will and his word known to people. So we see that in portions, in many portions or parts of time. So in time past, God did not speak to his people at one time only. He didn't say, okay, gather everybody. I'm going to say this only once. We see that in memes, but that's not really how it happened. God did not speak to his people at one time only. God did not speak to his people in one way only. And God did not speak to his people through one person only. In times past, God spoke at various times in various ways through various inspired individuals. But look what the writer of Hebrews pins for us. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds. God did it one way in times past, but now... At the last of these days, that's literally that phrase there, in these last days. I don't know what your Bible says, but what it literally says there, the meaning is literally this, at the last of these days, at the last of these days. Now that informs us about something. That tells us that the writer of the Hebrews understood that with the coming of the Messiah, with the revelation of Jesus Christ, that they were living in the last of those days. What days? It indicated that the writer understood that the coming of Christ marked the last days in that current age that anticipated the coming of the Messiah. Jesus' coming did not catch anyone by surprise. The people that knew, the people that were looking, they knew it was time for the Messiah to come. What caught them by surprise was who that Messiah was and what that Messiah did. But in the days that Jesus was born, the prophecies were there. The prophecies in the Old Testament. Daniel actually gave a timeline 
that the people living in Jesus' day at the birth of Jesus, those scribes who understood the scriptures, who understood the timelines and understood history, they would have known that this is the time of the coming of the Messiah. It's why the wise men followed the star, because they knew the prophecies. What caught men by surprise was who Jesus was. How can you have a Messiah that won't raise an army and destroy the empire that's oppressing us? How can you have a Messiah from Galilee? Nothing good comes out of Galilee. No prophets came out of Galilee. God didn't publicize to the world that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. They knew the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, but those guys thought Jesus was from Nazareth. And in that day, the rabbis traditionally divided the whole of time. They still actually do it today. They just don't recognize that the Messiah has come. They divide the whole of time into this age or this world and the age or the world to come. You see this in the scripture. Jesus says, I will be with you even to the end of the age. It talks about ages, worlds. And that's the reference here in these first four verses of Hebrews. The days of Messiah were the transition period or the last part of these days. Contrasting in times past. In times past, here's how God spoke to men. But in the last of these days, here's how God speaks to us. He speaks to us by his son. He speaks to us by his son in the last of these days and into the world to come and the age to come. For all eternity, do you know how God will speak to us? He will speak to us by his son. Do you know how we will be able to come into the presence of the father? Do you know how we will be able to dwell in the presence of God? It is because we are in the Son. It is by the Son that we come to the Father. It is by the Son that God speaks to us. The days of Messiah mark the close of the existing dispensation or age and the beginning of the final dispensation or age, the age we live in right now. And the crowning consummation of the age that we live in right now, you know what it is? It is the return of Jesus. Not the coming of Jesus, because Jesus has already come. It's the return of Jesus. Sometimes we talk about the coming of Jesus as if Jesus never came. I'm waiting for Jesus to come back. Honey, he's already come. And if he's not living in you and you're living in him, then you've got problems. We're not waiting for him to come. We're waiting for him to return physically, bodily. But he is with us now. He lives in us. If you're 
born again, Christ lives in you. If you're not born again, Christ does not live in you. And that's not, that's not a good state to be in. The coming of Christ into the world and his ultimate ascension mark the time of transition from one age to another. The destruction of the temple in 70 AD consummated the end of the Jewish age and the system of sacrifice that only ever pointed to Jesus. Listen, church. Every lamb that was sacrificed at 9 in the morning and every lamb that was sacrificed at 3 in the afternoon and every animal, every bull, every goat, every lamb, every turtle dove, everything that was ever sacrificed on behalf of God, on behalf of sin, on behalf of peace, on behalf of praise, on behalf of worship, every animal that was ever sacrificed only ever pointed us to Jesus. Every animal, every sacrifice was simply a shadow. Jesus was the substance casting that shadow that that animal spoke of. If there ever is a temple rebuilt in Jerusalem, and I don't believe there ever will be one, not the physical temple men are hoping is going to be rebuilt today. And for the life of me, I cannot figure out why any Christian would want that temple to be rebuilt today when Jesus himself said that he is that temple. Tear this temple down in three days and I will tear this temple down and in three days I will restore it. And they said, you're crazy, Jesus. It took 46 years to build this temple. And the Bible says they did not understand that Jesus spoke concerning his body. We go back to the Old Testament and we look at shadows and we become, we become obsessed with shadows and yet the substance is right here. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is not just in heaven sitting at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says he, dwell, he dwells in you, he lives in you. Why are we looking to shadows when the living Christ is living inside of us? The substance has come. We have no need to look to shadows. Christ is God with us and he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And God now speaks to us by his son. You don't need to pay a psychic. You don't need to read your horoscope. You need to read your Bible. Quit reading your horoscope and read your Bible. Quit, quit trying to figure out what a psychic has to say about your future and read what the Word of God has to say and hear from the Son of God. Because that's how God speaks to us now. Well, who is this Son? Verse 2. God has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God has at the last of these days spoken to us by his son, the writer of Hebrews says. Well, who is this son that he has spoken to us by? His son is the one he has appointed heir of all things. 
Not heir of most things, not heir of some things, but heir of all things. His son is the one through whom also he made the world. Who created the world? If I just if I just walked up to you on the street and said, who created the world? You would just say God. But now we're talking uh, about these first four verses and we're talking about the son of God. We're talking about Jesus Christ. So I say, who created the world? And sometimes it's like, well, mm, let's see, God created the world, but uh, well, uh, Jesus is, mm, mm. well, I know God did, but Jesus was there somewhere doing something, right? Yeah. Yes, God created the world, and God, through Jesus, created all things. Who created the world? God did. Who created the world? Jesus did. Well, make up your mind. Did God create the world, or did Jesus create the world? Yes. Yes, he did. There's a creed. I have it in my Bible. It's called the Creed of Athanasius. Here's the title of this creed. It's one of the three creeds that we hold to as a congregation. We don't recite the Athanasius Creed because it's very long. But it is absolutely worth reading. Here's the actual title of this creed. The Creed of Athanasius written against the Arians. You know who the Arians were? They were people who followed a guy by the name of Arius. And Arius was a bishop in the church, but Arius did not believe Jesus was God. He believed Jesus was a created being. He believed he was the son of God, but he was a created. So Jesus had a point of beginning. Well, that's simply not what the scripture teaches us. And Athanasius was a church father who ended up writing this creed in defense of the teaching of scripture that Jesus is the divine son of God, the second person of the Trinity. I'm not going to read you the Athanasius creed today, but maybe we'll read that one day. And Athanasius used these first four verses of the book of Hebrews as part of his defense against the Arians to confirm through the scripture that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Son of God. Because right here, the scripture tells us that he is the heir of all things and also he made the worlds. It says, His Son is the brightness of His glory. The Son of God is the brightness of God's glory. He is the brightness of the Father's glory. His Son is the express image of His person. That tells us quite a bit right there tells us that God is a person and Jesus is the express image of that 
person of God. That phrase, their express image, is a very difficult phrase to translate into English, but it's, it's, a, it's a word that means, it's like if you made a, a stamp or um, an impress, so if you were making a mold to impress an image, and you wanted to make a mold to impress the exact image, that, that's what this means. It's a word that means to impress. It's, it's a picture that Jesus is the exact image of the Father. This is why Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father is the invisible spirit. Jesus is the visible Son. He is the, he is the visible expression of the invisible God. He is the express image. He is the exact image of God. He is the brightness of his glory. God's glory speaks of light, but it says Jesus, the Son, is the brightness of his glory. This is not a created being. This is God himself. His Son is upholding all things by the power of his word. His Son by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. As we go through the book of Hebrews, we're going to see that the writer of Hebrews is telling these believers who want to go back to Jerusalem and sacrifice animals in the temple just to make sure their sins are covered. He's telling them, if you go back to that temple and you sacrifice animals in that temple, you are counting the blood of Jesus as common. You are trampling on the blood of Jesus. And it's no better than the blood of bulls and goats that's poured out into the dirt. No, he is the son who has himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I want you to hear this, church. Jesus purges your sin. You can't pay for your sin. You can't do enough penance to pay for your sin. You can't say enough Hail Marys. You can't give enough money. You can't offer enough prayer up to God in heaven to pay for your sin. It is absolutely impossible. The only thing that can purge your sin is the blood of Jesus. And Jesus shed his blood once and for all so that your sins would be purged. So what you need to do is not offer penance to God. You need to run to Jesus. You need to, to fall upon the rock and be broken and know that his blood was shed so that your sins could be taken away. And every time you sin, you run to Jesus because you can't pay for your sin. You can't beat yourself up enough. You can't shame yourself enough. You can't punish yourself enough to pay for your sin. So don't even try. Your time would be much better spent. Your efforts and energy would be much better spent going to Jesus and crying out to him and thanking him that his blood poured out once and for all, has taken away your sin. His son is the one spoken of by the prophets. Remember, I always tell you, the subject of this book right here is Jesus. In a very simplistic way, 
The subject of the book is Jesus. That's very simplistic, but it's very true. The prophets spoke of him. In times past, in the previous age, everything was pointing to Jesus. Now in the age that we live in, Jesus has come. We look back to the cross and we look forward to the return of our Savior who is with us and will never leave us and never forsake us. His Son is not created but eternal, the eternal begotten of the Father. Speaking of the Son, Jesus Christ, Paul the Apostle writes this. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20. Paul writes these words. He is the image, speaking of Jesus. He is the image, a different word there. This isn't an impress. He is the image of the invisible God, but it's conveying the same thing. When you see Jesus, this is what Paul is saying. When you see him, when you see the image of Jesus, you are seeing the invisible God made manifest. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, firstborn doesn't mean like your firstborn child in chronological order. That word firstborn means preeminence. It means he is the son, the preeminent son. There is none who hold an office or a position that exceeds him, that, that, that excels him. He is the preeminent Firstborn son of God. It's not chronology, it's position. There is no one that can hold a position higher than Jesus. That's what that term firstborn means right there. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions. So the next time someone asks you who created everything, just say Jesus. And they might say, no, you're wrong. God created. No, you're right. God did create. Then you can have a conversation with them about how Jesus is God, the second person of the Godhead, the one who and the only one who can purge our sin. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, that means all the angels and all the demons were created by God, by Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. Look at this. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things consist, or literally all things are held together. Literally speaking, without Jesus, everything in this created order would literally fly apart into complete and total chaos. He is the one that is upholding all things, holding together all things. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace, through the blood of his cross. You have peace with God today because of the blood of the cross, because of the blood of Jesus. When the Bible talks about a peace that passes understanding, it's not just you having all your stress and worries relieved. It's knowing that God is no longer your enemy, knowing that you are no longer an enemy of God, knowing that there is no longer hostility between God and his people. Why? Because peace was made. How was it made? It was made by the blood of the cross. 
The blood of the cross brought peace between God and his people. The Son is the express image of the invisible God made visible in human flesh. Jesus Christ, he is the Son of God. And the Son of God is with us. Now, we just read that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, and that is true. But he is also Emmanuel. He is God with us. Look at verse 4. Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. When angels appeared, when you read your scripture and you see angels appearing to men, men would usually fall down trembling. But one greater than any angel has appeared, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Listen to what Paul writes in his letter to the Philippians, beginning in verse 5, chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Jesus is equal with God because Jesus is God. And he didn't take that place by robbery. He didn't take it by force. It was given to him by the Father because of his humility, verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God has highly exalted him and has given him the name above all names. And all, A-L-L, all in heaven, all on earth, will confess, will bow they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Christ the Lord has not just appeared, but he has come and he dwells by his Holy Spirit in us and among his people who are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that's what you are called? Paul says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, speaking to the believers. You are the house of God. You are the body of Christ. And if you have been born again to see the Son, then you are one with him. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. And Christ in you is the hope of glory for every believer, for everyone who has become a child of God. Colossians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Listen, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them, to the saints, God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. That's us, the nations. What is this mystery? What is the richness that he's talking about? It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the revelation of God to his people. The revelation we need in order to have life is the revelation of the Son of God. There is no higher revelation we can have. The Son must 
shine in our hearts. God must shine the light of the sun in our hearts so that we will have eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Listen to these words. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure, this light, this brightness of glory, the brightness of the glory of his presence. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. When the sun shines in our heart, we possess a treasure in these earthen vessels we call bodies. And that is of an excellence and power we cannot comprehend. That excellence and that power is never of us. It is in us by grace, but the excellence and the power are of God. It is his presence dwelling in us. It is his light shining in us and from us. Does the sun shine in your heart? That's an important question. Does the sun shine in your heart? If not, ask him to shine his light in your heart and give you eyes to see Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus cannot just be someone that you know of here. Jesus must be someone you see here. You're not saved by what happens in your head. You're saved by what happens in your heart. You don't have eyes to see with the things in your head. You have eyes to see from the eyes God gives to you in your heart. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Paul prayed for the Ephesians that you would know the hope of his calling and the glory in Jesus Christ. Salvation is not here. Salvation is here. And from here, God renews us in our body. He renews us in our mind. But unless the sun is shining in your heart, there is no renewal. There is no life. There is only darkness. There is only sin. And there is only death. So I want to invite you to come to the table of the Lord, to come to the brightness of his light, to come to the light of the Son of God and feast in his presence. Have you ever noticed whenever you come to a feast, there's always light and maybe candlelight, but you never eat a feast in pitch blackness. You always eat a feast in light. And what we celebrate, what we feast on when we come to this table is the light. It is the light of Christ. And that light is not on that candle. It's in your heart. We can light a million candles. and They could produce lots of light. But the light that's most important is the light that is shining in your heart. And if you don't know whether that light is shining in your heart, then call upon the name of the Lord. That's what the Bible says to do. There's not a formula for being saved. But the Bible says if you call upon his name, you will be saved. He will not put you to shame. And God will shine a light in your heart, and you will be able to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ.
and you will have light to know what direction to go in your life, and that direction is the direction of Jesus Christ. So church, I invite you, come to this table of life, come to Jesus. Let's stand. Remember, God has given to us the highest revelation possible in the revelation of his Son. In this age we now live, Christ has been revealed as the Son of God who was born and lives and will return again in glory one day. We are not waiting for Jesus to come. He has already come. He lives in us if we have been born again. If we have been born again and redeemed by his blood, we are one with him. We are his body his bride, and his expression in the earth. Don't keep looking to shadows when the substance has already been revealed. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. He is the fulfillment and the substance of all that God made known through the shadows of the old covenant. We live in a new and better covenant with better promises made sure by Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God. We have every reason to hope in glory if Christ is in us. We have every reason to rejoice for Christ has come and shed his light in our hearts by grace through faith. We let these children come to the table each week because they are part of the covenant, because they are part of the body, and they are examples to us just as we should be examples to them. We should be examples of how to walk in maturity in Christ, but they should be examples for us how to have childlike faith and come to our Father trusting that he will receive us in his love. Go forth and shine his light and make him known and be light in the darkness and bring glory to your Lord and to your Savior. You are his church. You are his people. You are his body. Go out and glorify him.